1: What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. What's up, Dream Builder? We are back again with another episode, and today we're gonna talk about how do you create wealth on your own terms? And I think that that's the perfect topic for today's episode. The reason being is because right now there's obviously a lot of money being thrown around, but a lot of us don't know how to invest the right way. And so well, who we have on the show today is my friend, Mr. Sal Buscemi. Uh Sal, you want to go ahead and say what's up to Dream Nation?
2: How are you, Dream Nation? Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on here. Now, one of the things that I always like to do when we start out the episode is I compare us as entrepreneurs, thought leaders, change makers to superheroes. Why? It's because we're constantly flying around the world. We're putting on our cape and we're trying to solve some of the world's biggest problems. And so for a lot of people, they've seen you be featured in the highest of level publications and they've seen you on YouTube and on the biggest stages. But a lot of the times, even though they're seeing that S on the chest in the Superman or uh, the Salvatore, they don't know. <laughs> how to describe who he is when the cameras are off or who is that Clark Kent. So take us back and give us a little bit of uh backstory on who is the Clark Kent when it comes to Salvatore Buscemi.
2: Yes, and that's a, that's a very good question. You know, somebody asked me the other day at the health club what a definition was for entrepreneurship. And I said that it was self-improvement in disguise because that's really what it is because you're always mm-hmm. starting. You call it a cape, I call it a uh, talent stack or skill set, right? So it's like somebody could be really good at sales but really bad operationally. You know, you want to make sure that you're balancing a good talent stack or if you can't, you know, your partners are. But, you know, I've always been someone who's been, um, you know, taking care of problems a lot. And because I've put my t- – just to be honest with you, because of the relationships I've formed and the reputation I had early on with internships and people who I worked with, I was solving a lot of their, their problems. And the joke was is that, you know, I was like a real life Harvey Keitel, which I quote about in my book, Investing Legacy. Uh, you know, he's the wolf on Pulp Fiction that took care of all the problems, and I think that's the way you got to think about it today. Whether that's financial, whether that's human capital, whether that is like what you and I were talking about before with you building and being a developer. I mean, you know, you you are really like a you know a Harvey Keitel, really. I mean, it's you know, you're the wolf. You're putting out problems because you can and you're empowered to, and that just sort of makes every time you have a challenge or a circumstance. It's sort of you know what the Japanese say when they put the swords into the steel. Uh, Swords of steel into the fire many times, it makes the steel stronger, and that's sort of how you know I, I um, envision entrepreneurs. But really, my my calling in life, if you will, is to help people make sure that they don't embarrass themselves um, by doing mm. things that they shouldn't have been doing, and and really being that piece of advice that um, that advice that doesn't have anything to gain, but might you might not like the answer to but it will also save you from the newspapers and it could save you from a lot of things. And I, you know, I've been always doing this and I started out sort of, um, I wouldn't say negotiating, but I remember getting my first speeding ticket and my father said, you're going to fight this yourself. So I'm in front of a judge in high school, six months speeding And, you know, I had to come up with a case and I prepared everything for it. And, you know, from then on, it was sort of like it became I was doing the same thing to help other people. And the more value I provided the other people, the more uh, attention I got, the right attention I got. And that got me to certain places. So just being a problem solver doesn't mean you have to be the smartest guy in the room, but you have to have some balls sometimes.
1: Yeah, I would agree. So take us back though. Like, did you grow up? Cause now obviously you teach people how to invest their money, how to build legacy, how to build wealth. So sure. when you're growing up, does that, was, is that the life that you came from? Like you only knew about no, investing? No, no,
2: no, no. I, you know, I came from an academic household. I was, you know, I, I wanted to become a doctor, but the guy who I interned for, um, I, I could not do it. I, Basically, it was, and I'm not ashamed to admit this, but I was kind of squeamish, and I passed out from looking at a fibula that was uh, in the cadaver room. And because I've done a lot of hard work for this guy, and it was New York City, and I always put an emphasis on networking, and that's something that my mom always told me was she wanted me to go to New York to network. And you know, here I am going to college thinking I'm going to probably wind up doing something in the medical field. It never happened that way because of the networking and the hard work, and um the person who I who I interned for um, had a brother who worked at Goldman Sachs. And he said, you know, you should talk to my brother. He um, He's kind of a bigwig there. And keep an open mind because I think with your hard work and determination, medicine might not be the best option for someone like you. So just see what happens. And that was the beginning of, you know, where I am today. And it's really interesting when you look at investing and, and you look at how people invest today. You, tell the, you can definitely see the difference between How the uber wealthy invest in their attitudes and how they get their uh, emotional fit, you know, fix of dopamine versus the middle class. And the parallels could not be any further apart. And that's really why I wrote the book, is to sort of talk about what I've learned through this process. And just really, you know, Casanova, just getting, you know, to the point, is it all has to do with private investing. You know, a lot of people go into private investments because they have a lot more control whereas you're seeing the middle class today basically speculate on anything liquid because they can. Got
1: it. Yeah, and so let's break that down. When you say private investing, are you saying like if I'm looking to buy real estate, I should be looking at my family and friends first versus going to a bank? Or uh, break it down to the average person who doesn't know anything about investing. Oh,
2: that's a good question. Okay, sure. So when when we're looking at this, that you know, I, I guess a day in the life would be we have a um, prominent project that we're working on in Boston, and there's a prominent developer there, and there's a story of people who I've known through my Um, professional career since, you know, growing up uh, professionally on Wall Street and starting my own fund and firms where there's a level of trust. So what we're doing is, is that we're actually inviting people who have similar values to come in to be able to partner with us. And what we do is we take that equity and we invest it into the building. We don't get our hands dirty. We don't do that anymore. That's what you're doing right and that's what you're hoping to evolve from after you do this for your wife the last time maybe you know it's a lot easier to write the check than it is to actually wear the hard hat right so that's what (laughs) and deal with the zoning and deal with the lawyers and deal with the banks and get the tons of paperwork and make sure all the i's are dotted and the t's are crossed and you know, you, you, you know disclosed everything that you've ever done since the age of three, you know, financially on a form, then, you know, you'll be fine. But this is much more clubby. And what you're starting to see today is that across just America in general, people, maybe political or not, have formed cabals and societies where they feel as though their money is going to be treated better. And a lot of the wealthy people today feel as though that They're paying a lot in fees, but they don't have any discretion and they don't really have anything to talk about. So the lure for these investments for these people is really bragging rights to say that they're in a class A investment with other smart investors um, Mm -hmm. to be able to tell their friends so that they have an elevation of status and they get that dopamine hit just like, you know. Some girl in high school who just got a Gucci belt, she's posting it on Instagram. You know, it's, this, it's the same thing, right? But it's only different because it shows something a little different with a little more depth and a little more sophistication. So, those are what those investors want. So, you know, if you think about it, you know, we're the guys that write the equity checks for you to be able to develop stuff. And that's, you know, that takes a lot of skill to be able to. You know, not just raise the money, but to make sure that it's underwritten correctly and, and you have to have a lot of experience doing that. And, and we have a great track record because, you know, we're, we've, we've worked with the best people we can. We're not looking to find the highest return. We're looking for really the safest and best story working with the best people. Because at night, when you go to bed at night, if anything goes wrong, say a pandemic, who knows what can happen next? You want to make sure that your tenants are richer than you are. And that's what these people gravitate towards.
1: Got it. Okay. So on the investing side, when somebody I guess what typically when you're raising capital, because that's another hot topic right now. A lot of people mm. wanting to get into syndications and raising capital.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. How did
1: you how did you first get into raising capital? Was it just because of your relationships from Goldman Sachs or was yeah. this the first time where you're like, I've never done it. Let's try it out.
2: No, no, no. It's it's you know, it's it's part of like the training that you receive, of course, when you're working on Wall Street, but you're able to parlay that into a into a personal brand. And what I did was at the age of 29, um, I actually raised $30 million from a uh, Park Avenue fund that at the time was smaller, but now much bigger. And I was able, because I was able to tell them the story, and I had so much conviction in the story, that they looked at me and said, you know what, these are the guys who usually, you know, the young Turks, if you will, uh, who usually provide a lot of performance. And, And that's really what it was. It was really because I had just, you know, been doing that and I had studied that and that's all I did working on Wall Street that you're able to parlay that into something else. And so that's how I'm able to understand, you know, the sophistication behind some, you know, some asset classes that are not multifamily, um, but also other things like office and retail and, you know, and, and and things that, you know, to multifamily investors today wishing they probably got involved in because let's face it, not all say not all real estate is the same. And different tenants have different rights today. And there's a lot of people in New York I know who own a lot of multifamily real estate who are having a hard time collecting rent. So it's not as easy as just saying, I'm going to go into real estate or reading a headline that Bill Gates is buying farmland, and then you're going to go in and buy fractional crowdsourced farmland. It's not the same thing because he's not buying the same farmland you are, and he's not paying the same price that you're paying for, and he's not paying the same high fees. Otherwise... Why is Bill Gates not buying it through the crowdsourced app? So this is really the differences that I talk about in the book is that the middle class is chasing, you know, they have one investment theme, and that is to get rich quick. And in the middle class, you're starting to see a splinter of that, and that's called the entrepreneurial class, and that's emerging. And that's where you have a lot of people like yourself who have a lot of media, a lot of followers, they can monetize it, they're making a lot of money, and now they're looking to build a legacy for themselves.
1: Hey Dream Builder, if you are anything like me, you know the importance of setting goals and achieving those goals. And anytime you find something interferes with that, ultimately it interferes with your happiness. And if that's you, or if you're in a rut right now, I wanna encourage you to check out betterhelp.com. Now, BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling that's done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and they'll match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can send a message to your counselor at any time and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses back. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or even phone sessions all without having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, regardless if you're dealing with depression, grief, anxiety, or anything along those lines there's a licensed professional just waiting on the other side to help you and of course i want to help you as well I want you to start living a happier life today, and because you're a part of the Dream Nation tribe, and as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com forward slash Dream Nation. Again, that's betterhelp.com forward slash Dream Nation, and you can join over 1 million people who have taken the charge of bettering their mental health. Now, let's get back to it. I love it. So for somebody who is just starting out, the safest, as you said, you know, unsafe investments with the right people who have similar values to you, which I think everybody can respect and appreciate that. But if I have, like, is there a certain number that I should be looking to invest first off? Like I'm saving up and once I have $100,000 that I can deploy into a fund or is it $50,000 or is it based off of a certain project?
2: I mean, there are, I'll I'll tell you, I'll, I'll just lay it out for you right now. Because I know you have a lot of listeners, and I know that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to think, this is what this guy said. I'm going to qualify this first before I say anything about it, about the numbers, okay? So when you start seeing these opportunities and they click all these three checkboxes, then you can start parting with your hard-earned savings into this. Because a lot of times people think it's real estate, but, you know— Who's the operator? Who's managing it? Has he ever done this before? Is he, you know, did he just come from corporate America and now he's an entrepreneur and he wants to, you know, swing for the fences at the age of 45 and he's never laid in a pool of his own sweat before like you are right now? Right? So, I mean, I mean, these are really hard questions and and, and I want to make sure your listeners understand this. So, so before you write a check into any syndication ever at all, you got to ask three, you got to ask yourself these three questions. Number one. What is their track record? Have they been through at least two economic cycles? 2008 was one. I like to go back to before 2000, you know, for two. So I like depth. These are people who have um, been through it all. They've seen it. They've seen the cyclical, cyclical nature of the markets. They've had to deal with banks when banks don't become nice anymore and they're not your friends. So I like to see that. Second is I like to see an audited track record. Okay. Your weekend warriors do not have an audited track record. The people we talk about or or work with that we're talking about on this call, they all have audited track records because they've been around for about 40 to 50 years. So that's really, really good. And number three is you want to see a strong operator co-investment. And that means that they're putting in down payment, but we don't use that word, right? In commercial, we use equity, right? So what's their skin in the game? What is it? And you want to know really uh, who the other investors are too in this deal. Are they sophisticated guys or are they just... Doctors and dentists who don't know any better and they're just writing a check and, you know, they think that they can cash out in two months. That's what I, you know, that's what I'd like to see first. And that's what we mean by people having the same values as being, you know, in in these club deals and these syndications. Because if you have someone who doesn't understand the investment, they're going to cause a lot of trouble. So when you, when you look at those three things, it's really a good checklist to use before you start writing a check into these syndications, because that ensures at least that going to bed at night, you have the creature comforts of knowing that you've at least asked the hard, you know, at least started asking the hard questions that you need to find the answers to before you put your hard-earned savings into it. Yeah. That's no, a and long-ass and def- answer, but Casanova, we talked about this. Not all real estate's the same, right? Right. Okay.
1: No, a hundred percent. And those are the types of things that we love to give the listeners. Anybody who's watching or listening at this, they'll say, like, I like to be able to get the tangibles and I want to make sure that we put it to the everyday listener. Uh, a question that I have that comes to my mind is, did you learn this the hard way? Like, was there a time that you invested that you didn't follow those three principles?
2: Yes. What was um, it? But I got, I'll tell you the story right now. And I, and I actually, it, it sort of formed the basis of what I think ethics are. All right. So not too long ago, we were making a bid on a portfolio of triple net grocery leased anchor tenants. And um these are things that were smaller balance, which means that you could have people come in who could get a lot of loans. And this is like in 2013. And this is when before Bitcoin's mediotic rise, right? So you know people were still looking for that and that, you know, that sort of like You know, this was an investment by far that had much stronger, stable tenants than anything that they had before. Plus, it would give them a boost to say that they own part of a shopping, you know, some shopping chain or whatever. The problem is, is that I had raised all the money to be able to do this. And we're talking a lot of money. And I knew how to value this and I knew what the value was. And I knew that if I had paid any more than I wanted to, just, just off of that, off of my... Just the way, you know, looking at it, the way I underwrote it and just sticking to my principles that if I paid too much for it, I would never be able to get my investors out ever. So I did something interesting and I called upon my network of mentors and people who have, um, you know, basically showed me the way of how, you know, they've sort of led me the way and were mentors and people who I still keep in contact into this day. And there were also other people out there who would love to have taken the money off of my hands, of course, but you know w- w- my name would be on it. So if I gave it to someone else and they screwed up, I would be the ultimate failure. So I wound up giving the money back because I didn't want to have to be bullied by Someone who had money that wasn't his because what it came down to it is that this money was mine This was it wasn't all mine, but it was my investors. And so it was mine implicitly And this guy had a signature loan He was a dentist from a bank in the Midwest And he was just a guy that had a three million dollar signature line and he was going to outbid me on this Like it was a piece of fine art or a collectible car And I just, you know, at that point, I just gave back the money and I wrote a letter back and it cost me about probably $2,000 in wiring fees to send the money back. But uh, I just basically buried my ego and I said, look, don't call us. We'll call you once we find something else. We just didn't want to be outbid. We didn't want you to get hurt. It's better to save the capital and give it back rather than to waste it or, you know, give it to someone else who, you know, who knows what the hell they're going to do with it.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, and, and yeah, that definitely shows your ethics. And, and I'm sure all of the partners, then the next time when you came around, are any of those partners still with you?
2: Well, <laughs> that's a funny story. Uh, this was in 2013. And this is in 2014, when the Church of Bitcoin started coming into, yeah. into fold. And the evangelism behind that uh took some of these people away. But the lesson that I learned is that the wealthier investors were more sophisticated, they understood it, and they had my back. The middle class investors were so desperate they were angry at me because they were just they thought it was a get rich quick thing. It was almost like they didn't understand the investment, nor did they care to understand the investment. They were a little too entitled. It was really weird, to be honest with you. And it really formed the focus of the types of investors that we worked with, you know, going forward, of course.
0: every time
1: and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars limited time only price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any
0: other offer single item at regular price
2: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. but it really talks about the difference in the value systems between the middle class and the you know the the upper ech- echelons the top one thousandth of the one percent of society
1: yeah no that's and, they all, and, and,
2: and actually half of them are back. The other half I never heard from after Bitcoin. So it, that's the moral of the story is that, you know, when somebody tells you, you know, they evangelize and they proselytize to you about Bitcoin and they say, but I just have a little bit of money in it. You know, that's not true, right? I mean, you know that that's a telltale sign that they bet the farm on it. And those are the guys I never heard from, the chiropractors and all those guys. They're, I don't know what happened to them. God, I mean, so- a lot of money. I mean, these guys, I mean- a lot. We're talking millions of dollars. They were shoving into this,
1: into the project that you had.
2: No, Bitcoin.
1: Oh, into Bitcoin. Yeah, got it. And that, that's a great transition and segue because that was what I was going to ask for you. Are you somebody? Are you a believer in blockchain and Bitcoin right now, or are you saying like, hey, people, real estate is still something that we could see, it's tangible, we could touch. Right. Like what are your thoughts on all of that especially from the investing perspective?
2: It depends. You know what I've learned today honestly Kaufman it comes down to your identity. And so you know, there's always going to be those guys who are going to gravitate towards real estate cuz they like it. They identify with it, you know, they're more I call them in the book providers. These are the people who their their ego is more tied to them providing for nonprofits, their names being tied to foundations and on the side of buildings. They they err more towards things that they can understand. But the Bitcoin is developed, it's, it's an identity investment if you think about it. Because if you think about the people who are into Bitcoin, your Bitcoin bros, and I'm not making fun of them, right? And I'll get into whether I like it or not. That's their entire identity. They have to like it, whether it's up or down, right? So, I mean, th- somebody's, you know, Bitcoin, I mean, it is a gift from the liquidity gods to anyone who likes Tesla, really, or Dungeons and Dragons growing up. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing to them. Now, I don't trade. I don't play with it. We do have tokens because of some equity investments that we've made in some some privately held companies that offer tokens. And I do believe that there is a huge use for blockchain in the future. Um, and with tokenization and the way things are going, I think we're going into sort of like a, a golden era where things and regulation comes in and, and things will be a lot more stabilized. And. Of right now, you have to. As far as an investment, sure, anything can be an investment if you want it to be. But I think today most Americans have been taught that speculation and media gratification is the um, investment theme, and people who just don't have the patience to wait, they're not going to gravitate towards real estate. They're going to gravitate towards other things that fit their personality and you know, and, and, and Bitcoin is great because it allows people real time to trade another product other than stocks. And it's a wealth creation mechanism. But I don't know if it's really a long term store of wealth yet. I don't know if anyone does. I'm not here, nor am I anyone really to, to even opine on something like this. I don't even own any Bitcoin. Um, but I, I will say that it, I think it's coming into its own and the pandemic has certainly shepherded its way in.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing I think now when a lot of people are learning right back in the day, it just used to be stocks or real estate, but now you have Bitcoin. Now you have NFTs. You have obviously the, the creator world where a lot of people are making a lot of cash, like more accessible than ever. And so for you, as you are first telling somebody about how do they become an investor? Like the Uber wealthy, like you said, the first thing that they should be looking to do is what? Like, because right now, let's say I got a hundred thousand dollars, right? And I'm, I'm saying, okay, should I invest into stocks? Should I invest into Bitcoin? All those things. Are you just saying, figure out who your identity is? Or are you I, saying I got an answer no?
2: for you. I got, I got, it. here's the answer. Okay. Do you have any kids? I have two kids. Okay. Um, how do you want your kids to speak of you after you're gone?
1: I want them to say, dad was someone who persevered.
2: Speculated 100000 on Bitcoin, right? <laughs> no.
1: Oh, okay. No. I,
2: I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. Okay. <laughs>
1: that, that's definitely. No, you can't. You can't say that, though.
2: <laughs> what? No, I, I'm. No, because it's a real question. The, the name of my book came because there was a, a he was, Gosh, he was like, he was, tr- he wanted to, he had a lot of money, he inherited nine figures, and he wanted to make a, an, his identity. And really what I told him is, is like, do you really want to, is that what you want your investing legacy to be? Is that you're going to be a micro cap weed stock guy? Like I, and he's like, well, no, I, you know, I'm, what you have to do is you have to figure out what the epitaph, what your epitaph is going to read first, and then back into that and then once you know what that looks like then you can start looking and seeing what you're going to do with the 100,000 because other than that a guy like you comes up to me it seems like I got this money I don't know what to do with it but I it just I can tell in your eyes you want to get rich quick you know maybe not you but most guys and you're like yes I want a 4x in 4 hours or or something and that's not going to last forever right i mean we all right. know that but you know when i ask you what do you want your kids to say? And then, you know, I joke around and fuck with you and say, he's going to spend, you know, then you sort of, you, you, you took a step back now, didn't you? And now you're starting to think a little bit about, hmm, that's really interesting. How am I going to pivot it this way so that my legacy, which is really your way of taking it with you because of how people are going to remember you on earth, uh, how am I going to use this $100,000 to shape that? And should I be focusing on other things that'll get me closer to that and will that make my focus a little more determined rather than looking for, hey, what's the next AMC stock or what's the next, you know, uh, you know v- coin that's being issued today? That's what you got to look at. And that's the different mentality between the middle class and the 0.001%.
1: Got it. I mean, I think that's a very good perspective. I think there's some people out there, though, that would say, listen, I don't necessarily need to get a 13x return in the next 13 months, right? But at the same time, like I know that there's a lot of opportunity. There's the cost opportunity in the beginning that if I am willing to take risks, whether it's in the stock market or if I'm willing to take risks on Bitcoin, at the end of the day, it's still more risk. Well, but maybe why, I- why
2: are you just liquid assets then? Why are you just, I mean, We're talking about you developing all this beautiful real estate with your wife, and now we're now you're putting that hundred thousand into liquid stuff.
1: Well, for me, I'm always gonna be a real estate guy, right? So okay. I'm real estate first and foremost. But okay. at the same time, I do always love to hear different perspectives on it. And I know that there's somebody else out there that might listen to it and they might say, hey, you know what, real estate, it's too slow of an avenue for me. And maybe it's not, maybe they already own a couple of right.
2: I'm young, you know, real estate is too slow. And you know, when I gave that money back in that story, we started doing a lot of things in the venture capital space because it became a lot easier for me to allocate into people who who had multiple exits, who trusted me, I trusted them, and then we made a deeper relationship. Now, some people would say, oh, that's high risk. It's venture because it's not liquid. Well, if, it, if that's the case, then why are all the billionaires investing in the private companies? Because they see more value in these companies because they can control the risk. They can control the price that they invest at, and they can also control the terms, warrants, and all of that kind of stuff that you know they talk about on Shark Tank that nobody really talks about. But it's also in a business where it's a little more insulated. So when you're looking at you, – I think you have to look at it this way, and I'm sure you're going to get hate mail for it. But if you start looking at liquid things as like a long-term investment in this market where we are right now, where the Fed is signaling that they might raise interest rates, I think it's a fool's paradise. And I think it's – you got to really and, – and nobody likes to think about this. They're all looking for like the quick hit. Like, what's Sal going to say? What's the stock tip? I don't do stocks. I don't have any stocks unless something goes public and we have to, you know, we, we sell it and we get the shares. We're not actively trading stocks because our investors don't care about that. They think about things and have impact statements that go out at least 30, 40 years. And anything you mentioned besides your real estate empire does not fit that cut.
1: No, hmm. oh, I, I love it. I love it. Well, like I said, for me, I'm always going to be a real estate guy. First I know and that.
2: I know. You're just a devil's advocate today. I get it. But, yeah. But I, you and understand. I love it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely do. So, um, talk to me about for you, you've been able to accomplish a lot in terms of private investing and having equity in a lot of these projects. Do you have one project that is your biggest accomplishment or greatest accomplishment that you're most proud of right now? Like a deal that maybe you, you, you couldn't have seen of how this would have came, but you just stayed persistent or resilient and, and it worked out for you. Hey, dream builder, are your home and auto policies almost up for renewal? If so, and you're looking for a lower rate, I believe I have a solution for you. And it's called Policy Genius. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare home and auto rates in one place. They can help you find home and auto coverage similar to what you have now, but at a lower price. And the best part is they've saved customers on average $1,250 per year over what they're already paying for home and auto insurance. Getting started is super easy. First, just head on over to policygenius.com and answer a few questions about yourself and your property, and then Policy Genius takes it from there. They'll compare rates from America's top insurers from Progressive to Allstate to find you the lowest quote. So head on over to policygenius.com to get started right now. Again, that's policygenius.com, and you can find out when it comes to insurance, how they help you get it right. Let's go ahead and hop back into it.
2: I mean, we're proud of everything that I've done. We've had like one stinker, just one, um, and that was before the pandemic. But I have to say, um, in real estate, I'm very proud of uh, the investments that we've made. Most recently, we made an investment prior to the pandemic, and we didn't – with Vegas, where it's located, we really thought that we, – we didn't know what was going to happen because Vegas was shut down, and it was like the city had one arm behind its back. All the shows were canceled. All the conventions were closed. And with no conventions means no shows, and that's really the heavy traffic. It's not the gambling, it's the convention traffic. So we were a little worried, but because we partnered with the right person and because there was mutual trust and there was a lot of depth there, we were able they were able to pull a you know, we trusted them to pull a rabbit out of the hat. We didn't have to do anything really. Um, but we're very proud of that because we underwrote it conservatively. We zigzagged into a different asset class that our investors might not have wanted to go into in the first place. Looking back, they're happier than a clam, um, all of them. And it is something that is close to 100% occupied at this point in a post-pandemic world. And I'm exceptionally proud of that. But there's other things, too. And I know I mentioned real estate because you're a real estate guy. But on the venture stuff, we're very happy, too, with a lot of the private investments that we've made, specifically in life sciences in companies that have seen a multiple inflection in value since we made investments in 2016 and 2017. And that's mostly because I think a beneficiary of the pandemic, uh, Casanova today, because, you know, I, I think the roaring 20s are coming back and it's going to be life sciences. If you think about it, you had the FDA, the world come together to create a vaccine in six months and the FDA approve it in two weeks. That, where are we going right? Where are we right. going? You see, so, you know, follow the trend, right? Follow the trend. So, and, and we're looking at real estate deals too. That's sort of our beneficiary of that in Boston, but a lot, we're proud of all the investments. And, and another investment too, that we're very, very proud of is um, something a little kinky, um, if that's okay. That's a little different, yeah. but um, you're, you're a real estate guy. You're familiar with hard money lending. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So we do this. I wrote a book on hard money lending called Making the Yield. Uh, a long time ago, it's a cult favorite. And we basically just did the same thing. But instead of single family homes, we do it with ultra fine Christie's and Sotheby's quality fine art. So you're dealing with priceless collateral. And, um, you know, it's great, because, you know, when when you're when it's just technical, and it's James Bondish, and it's fun, and I'm a financial nerd, and I love all this stuff. But, you know, again, you're, you're, Again, it's a higher status knowing that you're lending on fine art, you know, so that some NFL play you know, team owner can buy a or you know Get some guy off the draft. You know, like this is the real stuff that happens behind closed doors. Yeah. That's like you know, you know, it's like and I can't tell about stories or anything like that, but it's like, you know, somebody needs to come up with like an extra 12 million quick because they have to secure this player, you know, then you start seeing interesting things happen. So um, you know, that's wow. it's it's very interesting. So it's like it's really cool because it's secured and overinsured, and the wealthy look at it as like a glorified CD because if you think about it, private insurance is much safer than anything the government's gonna give. Like FDIC, so we we haven't gotten to that point of the conversation. Maybe that's time for another podcast around Halloween when things get scary, and we can talk about FDIC insurance. But you know, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to bring the crowd down here too much.
1: Yeah, no, this is definitely interesting, and that would be man. Those types of stories are more of the stories that I want to definitely get into of like behind the scenes when you oh, talk you about Oh, you have promotion. no idea.
2: I already. I mean, my second book is going to talk about all that stuff. Like all, I mean, it's just a whole different world and. Um, I'm lucky to have been around a few people in my first book who talk about it. Actually, you'll like Chapter 5 in Investing Legacy. We talk about that at length, what are statement assets, sports teams, and things. And my goodness, you'll be surprised at some of the horse trading that goes on.
1: Wow. So let's let's talk, because I know we this has been a phenomenal conversation, but one thing uh, we, we always love to tap into, you've talked about the successful projects and what you've been proud of, mm-hmm. and uh, you've definitely had a lot of them, but if there was one thing that you wish that you would have implemented sooner to accelerate your path on your dream and your goal to where you are today, what would that one thing be?
2: I would have implemented systems earlier in my career for raising... Capital, perhaps more in a more fluid way. an example
1: what does it, the system look like for if raising you're capital? In,
2: if you are, you should have today, like you do, media right? And you should have a way to talk and direct with your investors or prospective investors. And um, we had a lot of investors, but I was not communicating with them well. Some of them never heard from me. Some of their emails got bounced. And I think a lot of people today, and especially in real estate, have become dinosaurs, sort of like insurance agents. They just don't use technology. And the moment we started using technology, things really started opening up for us. And I tell anyone, you know, if you want to be successful in real estate, there's only one rule you need to know. First, and you got to really believe this, otherwise you're not going to be successful. And that is you always have to be raising capital. You can never be raised not you can never raise enough capital, especially going into an environment like this. Don't worry about looking at the deals. Don't worry, there'll always be deals there and they're only going to get better. Don't worry about impressing some beautiful real estate agent, you know, making a bid on a property you don't care about buying. It doesn't matter. Just focus on building the network so that you have the Uh, resources and, 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 reputational capital to be able to raise money when these opportunities come. Because a lot of people go into real estate thinking that they're going to make a lot of money and they do, if they're selling it, there's different ways to participate. But if you want to participate the way the grown up men and women do, like you and I do, you always have to be out there raising capital. And that's what I would tell anyone who's getting started in this business is to always start raising capital or, you know, whatever they say in the movies, you know, always be closing. You should always be you know, yeah, you know, because you don't need any friends who don't have any capital. Right. Well, I have enough drinking buddies I'm so just <laughs> it's it. Right. Right. I mean, think about it. So it's a little it's a little crass. But for people who are listening and they want to get into it, you know, they're going to see that's the real world way of, of looking at it and saying if you better be prepared to raise capital.
1: Got it. I love it, man. Again, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Uh, I want to be the first one if no one else has told you uh, to say thank you and I appreciate you. Um, we'll make sure that we put all of the links in the show notes to your books and to thank your website. You. But for anyone who wants to stay directly connected with you, tell us where can they find you at?
2: They can go to SalvatoreBoscemi.com. then go to my website, and, uh, you know, I got a couple books there if you want to learn about, like, you know, private credit and fundraising and things like that, which I would urge you to do. Um, I would first read Investing Legacy first so you know exactly who you're talking to first when it comes to investors because not all investors are made equal. And there's five different types of investors that I lay out there. And then move on to the more technical books, Making the Yield and Raising Real Money. And I think once you have that construct after listening to this, you're going to look at the real estate business, um, and I know this isn't a real estate podcast, but you're going to look at the real estate business a little differently through the eyes um, of an experienced allocator.
1: Absolutely. Well, yes, my brother, I'm excited to to read more upon it. I know that I will be because I can. I feel you can never stop learning. And I'm sure out of all of your books, there's a lot of nuggets that I could take away. And I'm sure somebody else out there is uh-huh. thinking the exact same thing. Um, so yeah, again, I want to say thank you. We'll make sure we put all those links in the show notes. And, um, just as he said, dream nation, you got to take action on something. Oh, you got to take action on your dreams. The people who get into private investing and even in real estate, we're just taking action. They're better than the people who don't because otherwise that dream that you have, and we all have a dream, it'll only merely be a fantasy. That's all for this one. We'll catch you on the next one. That's all we got for this episode. Thank you for sticking around. That truly means a lot to me. And hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one. If you haven't already, the way that you could say thank you That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all because you're our tribe. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side.
0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas?